Chapter forty seven of Erema. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellie. Erema by Adi Blackmore. Chapter forty seven. Cadmian Victory. Before two o'clock of the following day, Major Hockin and myself were in London and ready to stay there for two or three days if it should prove needful before leaving Brancy, i had written briefly to lord castlewood telling him that important matters had taken me away from shocksford and as soon as i could explain them i would come and tell him about it this was done only through fear of his being annoyed at my independence from london bridge the major took a cab directly to clerkenville and again observed that of all his choice one of the keenest was to match his wits against the cabman's a regular muff this time he said as he jerked up and down with his usual delight in displaying great knowledge of london no sport to be had out of him why he stared at me when i said rosamond street and made me stick on clerkenwell now here he is taking us down snow hill when he could have been crossing smithfield smithfield cabby smithfield certain sir smithville if you gives the order and he turned the poor horse again and took us up the hill and among a great number of barriers no thoroughfare no thoroughfare and all hands stretched across us but the cabman threaded his way between till he came to the brink of a precipice the horse seemed quite ready like a roman to leap down it seeing nothing less desirable than his present mode of life till a man with a pickaxe stopped him what are you at cried the major with fury equalled by nothing except his fright erema untie my rattan quick quick captain said the cabman coolly I must have another shilling for this job a extra mile and a quarter to your orders you know london so much better smithville stopped new railway new meat market never heard of that now did you you scoundrel drive straight to the nearest police office must jump this little ditch then captain five pound five for you when we gets there hold on inside old gentleman bob you was a hunter once it ain't more than fifty feet deep my boy turn round turn round i tell you turn round if your neck is for fate you rogue mine is not i never was so taken in my life major hawking continued to rave and amid many cheers we retreated humbly and the driver looked in at us with a gentle grin and i thought he was so soft you know erema may i swear at him on no account i said why after all it's only a shilling and the loss of time and then you can always reflect that you have discharged as you say a public duty by protesting against the vile system protesting is very well when it pays the major answered gloomily but to pay for protesting is another pair of shoes this made him cross and he grew quite fierce when the cabman smote him for eight pence more four parcels on the roof captain he said looking as only a cabman can look at his money and spinning his extra shilling two pence under each new hedged you know scarcely saw the officer would have tried evasion you consummate scoundrel and you dress yourself like a countryman i'll have your badge endorsed i'll have your license marked erema pay the thief it is more than i can do captain your address if you please i shall summon you for scurrilous luggage as the hack directs ah you do right to be driven to a pawn-shop triumphantly he drove off while the major cried never tie up my rattan again oh it was mrs hockin wasn't it what a fool i was not to stop at my own manner i pray you to disdain such low impudence i said for i could not bear to see him shake like that and grieved to have brought him into it you have beaten fifty of them a hundred of them i have heard you say certainly i have my dear but i had no brancy then and i could not afford to pay rogues 
that makes me feel it so bitterly, so loftily, and so righteously, to be treated like this, when I think of all my labors for the benefit of the rascally human race, my institute, my lyceum, my mutual improvement association, and Christian's young men's something. There is no institution, after all, to be compared to the treadmill. Recovering himself with this fine conclusion, he led me down a little shopping alley, scarcely wide enough for a wheelbarrow, to an old black door, where we set down our parcels, for he had taken his while I carried mine, and not knowing what might happen yet, like a true peacemaker, I stuck to the sheaf of umbrellas and the rattan cane, and thankful I was, and so might be the cabman, to have that weapon nicely sheathed with silk. Major Hawkins' breath was short, through too much talking without action, and he waited for a minute at his door, to come back to his equanimity and I thought that our female breath falls short for the opposite reason, when we do too much and talk too little, which happily seldom happens. He was not long in coming back to his usual sprightliness and decision, and it was no small relief to me who was looking at him miserably and longing that his wife was there, through that very sad one-eight pence, when he pulled out the key which he always carried as signer and lord of Brancy, the key of the town hall, which had survived locked door and walls by centuries and there we struck a door which must have reminded that key of its fine old use before he had knocked so very many times the door was opened by a young man wearing an apron and a brown paper cap who knew major hockin at once and showed us upstairs to a long low workshop there were many wheels and plates and cylinders revolving by energy of a strap which came through the floor and went through the ceiling and the young man told us to be careful how we walked for fear of getting entangled several men wearing paper caps and aprons of leather or base were sitting doing dexterous work no doubt and doing it very easily and the master of them all was hissing over some fine touch of jewel as the groom does at the horse then seeing us he dropped his holders and threw a letter upon his large lens and came and took us to a little side-room are you not afraid to leave them asked the major they may secrete some gems mr Henkin never said the lapidary with some pride i could i could trust this man with the kuinoor which we could have done better i believe than it was done by the hollanders but we don't get the chance to do much in diamonds through the old superstition about amsterdam and so on no no the only thing i can trust my man about is to work as hard when i am away as when i am there and now sir what can i do for you any more brancy pebbles the last were not worth the cutting so you said but i didn't think so we have some agates as good as any from abbey swiss to perthshire but what i want now is to open this case it must be done quite privately for the most particular reason it does open doesn't it i'm sure it does certainly it opens mr handkin answered while i trembled with anxiety as he lightly felt around the edges with fingers ingrained with corrodum i could open it in one instant but the animal might fly will you risk it the major looked at me and i said oh no please don't risk anything if any slower process will do it without risk we want it done without injury then it will cost a good bit he replied i can open it for five shillings if you run the risk if that rests with me i must charge five pounds say three cried the major well then say four guineas i have a lot of work in store for you i never overcharge and i never depart my figures the lapidary answered there is only one other man in london who knows the secret of this animal and he is my brother they never make such animal now the art is lost like that of the french paste of a hundred years ago which almost puzzles me until i go behind it i will give you my brother's address if you like but instead of five pounds he will charge you ten guineas if it must be done in private without that condition 
I can do it for two pounds. You wish to know why that should make such a difference? Well, for this simple reason. To make sure of the job, it must be done by daylight. It can be done only in my chief workroom. If no one is to see what I am about, and my men have sharp eyes, I can tell you, all my hands must be sacked for the afternoon, but not without their wages. That alone would go far toward the difference. And then there is the dropping of the jobs in hand, and the waste of power, and so on. I have asked you too little, Major Hockin, I assure you, but having said, I will stick to it, although I would much rather you would let me off. I have known you for many years, the Major answered, ever since you were a boy with a flat box, working at our Cornish Opals. You would have done a lot of work for five pounds then, but I never knew you overcharge for anything. We agree on your terms, and are obliged to you, but do you guarantee no damage? I will open this locket, take out its contents, whatever they may be, and reclose it, so that the maker, if still alive, which is not very probable, should not know that it had been meddled with. Very well, that is exactly what we want, for I have an idea about it, which I may try to go on with afterward, and for that it is essential to have no symptom that it was ever opened. What are these brilliants worth, Mr. Handkin? Well, sir, in trade about a hundred and fifty, though I dare say they cost three hundred, and the portrait is worth another hundred, if I find on the back the marks I expect. Do you not mean to say that you know the artist? I could not help exclaiming, though determined not to speak. Oh, then, we shall find out everything. Erema, you are, well, you are a silly, Major Hockin exclaimed, then colored with remembering that rather he should have let my lips pass, but the lapidary seemed to pay no attention, only to be calling down to someone far below. Now, mind what you say, the Major whispered to me, just as if he were the essence of discretion. The workroom is clear now, Mr. Handkin said. The fellows were delighted to get their afternoon. Now you see that I have to take off this hoop, and there lies the difficulty. I could have taken out the gold back, as I said, with very little trouble, by simply cutting it. But the locket would never have been quite the same, though we put a new back. And more than that, the pressure of the tool might flaw the animal, or even crack the portrait, for the make of the thing is peculiar. Now first I submit the rim of verge without touching the brilliance, mind you, to the action of a little preparation of my own, a gentle but penetrative solvent. You are welcome to watch me. You will be none the wiser. You are not in the trade, though the young lady looks as if she would make a good polisher. Very well. If this were an ordinary closure, with two flat surfaces meeting, the solvent would be absorbed into adhesion, expansion would take place, and there we have it. But this is what we call a crime joint, a cohesion of two curved surfaces, formed in a flex curve, which admits the solvent most reluctantly, or indeed not at all, without too long application. For that, then, another kind of process is needful, and we find it in frictional heat applied most gradually and judiciously. For that, I must have a buff leather wheel, whose revolutions are timed to a nicety, and that wheel I only have in this room. Now you see why I sent the man away. Though I watched his work with great interest, it is out of my power to describe it now, and moreover it is not needful. Major Hockin, according to his nature, grew quite restless and impatient, and even went out for a walk with his cane unpacked and unsheathed against cabmen. But I was content to wait and watch, having always heard and thought that good work will not do itself, but must have time and skill to second it. And Mr. Handkin, moving arms, palms, and fingers beautifully, put the same thought into words. Good work takes a deal of time to do, but the man that does it all the time knows well that it will take long time to undo. Here it comes undone at last. As he spoke, the excitable Major returned. Done, eh? 
well you are a clever fellow now don't look inside it that is no part of your business nor of mine either unless this young lady desires it hand it to her first my friend wait half a minute said the lapidary it is so far opened that the hoop spins around but it must not be taken off until it cools the lady will lift it then with care i have done this job as a piece of fine art i have no wish to see any more of it handkin don't you be so touchy to a brother cornishman i thought that i was cornish enough but you go cliffs beyond me well major hockin the lapidary answered i beg your pardon if i said harm but a man doing careful and skilled work and skilled work it is at every turn of the hand as miss can bear witness while you walked off don't care who it is major hockin he would fight his own brother to maintain it very well very well let us come away i always enter into everybody's feelings i see yours as clearly handkin as if you had laid them open on that blessed wheel my insight has always been remarkable every one without exception says that of me now come away come away will you never see intent as i was upon what lay in my left palm relaxing itself i could not help being sorry for the way in which the man of art after all his care was ground down by his brother cornishman however he had lived long enough in the world to feel no surprise at ingratitude now i went to one of the windows as the light which had been very good began to pale from its long and laboured sufferance of london and then with soft and steady touch i lifted off the loosened hoop a smell of mustiness for smells go through what nothing else can was the first thing to perceive and then having moved the disc of gold i found a piece of vellum this was doubled and i opened it and read it in small clear writing may seventh eighteen nine a d george lord castlewood married winifred only child of thomas hoyle as this his signature witnessed castlewood witness thomas hoyle there was nothing more inside this locket except two little wisps of hair tied with gold thread and the miniature upon ivory bearing on the back some anagram probably that of the artist already i had passed through a great many troubles changes chances and adventures which always seem strange when i come to look back but never surprised me at the moment indeed i might almost make bold to pronounce that not many persons of my age and sex have been visited wholly against their own will by such a series of incidents not to say marvellous but at any rate fairly to be called unusual and throughout them perhaps it will be acknowledged by all who have cared to consider them that up to the present time i did not feel more than themselves might have done in patience and in no descriptions of what came to pass have i coloured things at all in my own favour at least so far as intention goes never laid myself out to get sympathy so it often would have done me a great world of good but now i was free to confess that my patience broke down very sadly why if what was written on that vellum was true major hockin correct as well it came to no less than this that my own dear father was a base-born son and i had no right to the name i was so proud of if moreover as i now began to dream the terrible and mysterious man did not resemble my father so closely without some good reason it seemed too likely that he might be his elder brother and the proper heir this was bad enough to think of but an idea a thousandfold worse assailed me in the small hours of the night as i lay on mrs trow's best bed which she kept for consuls or foreign barons or others whom she loved to call international notorieties having none of these now she assigned me that bed after hearing all i had to say and not making all that she might have done of it because of the praise that would fall to mrs busk however she acknowledged that she knew nothing of the history of the poor old lord 
he might have carried on for all she could tell with many wives before his true one a thing she had heard too much of but as for the captain not being his true son and the proper heir to the peerage let any one see him walk twice and then have a shadow of doubt about it this logic pleased but convinced me not and i had to go to bed in a very unhappy restless and comfortless state of mind i hope that rather than myself that bed full of international confusion is to blame for the wicked ideas which assailed me while i could not even try to sleep one of them and a loyal daughter could scarcely have a worse one was that my own dear father knowing lord castleworth's bad behaviour and his own sad plight in consequence and through that knowledge caring little to avenge his death for wife and children's sake preferred the foil inquiry rather than confront the truth and challenge it he might not have meant to go so far at first beginning with it but starting once might be driven on by grievous loss and bitter sense of recreant friends and the bleak despair of a homeless world before him and serving as the scapegoat thus he might have received from the real culprit a pledge for concealment of the family disgrace End of chapter forty seven recording by ellie july two thousand nine